Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby. And I'm Adam Bubb. And this is the podcast where we dig into the fascinating origin stories of the most innovative movers and shakers in business and life. It's your dose of weekly inspiration served with a simply delicious insight that you can take away. It's all about food puns on today's first act because today's special guest has just the ingredients you need to make your life a little spicier, a little more aromatic, a little richer and full of umami. I just, I was dying to say the word umami on this podcast, so <laughs> my life goal is, has, been, has been reached. Uh, let's get to it, shall we, Seth? All right. Now, if you're a foodie, you're bound to have heard of our next guest or tasted her delicious condiments and sauces, Marion Grasby from Marion's Kitchen. Marion first made a name for herself on season two of MasterChef, an audience favourite. She was tipped to take out the title but came unstuck with a satay sauce that saw her eliminated from the competition. Undeterred, she quickly parlayed her newfound fame into a publishing deal in a supermarket range and the first cab off the rank was... Satay, <laughs> and she hasn't looked back since. Today, Marion broadcasts her cooking tips to millions of eager foodies via her own network, spreading the joy of food to the world. Welcome, Marion. Thanks, Seth. Hi, Adam. Nice to be here. It is so good to have you on our podcast, Marion. We're so excited to chat with you today. Now, we always start first act with what we call our first act icebreaker. Your icebreaker for today is. You can only eat three items of food for the rest of your life. What are those three items? Noodles, chilli, rice. I had a feeling you would say noodles. I just had a sense, a spidey (laughs) sense that maybe that would end up in those three. And when I say chilli, I'm sort of broadly categorising all of the things like chilli oil, chilli crisp, chilies, chilli powder. That way I can, you know, eat my noodles and rice to, to, my, to my heart's content for the rest of my life. So there you go. Life planned. Three ingredients. <laughs> oh, look, noodles, so versatile, so much you can do with them. I mean, I'm, I'm right with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Now, let's get into it, because growing up in your household, you cooked, you shopped, you ate together. That must have brought about a lot of memories regarding food. What's your earliest food memory? Yeah, I think it's more of a sort of sense of place and smell and taste. You know, I I kind of... I kind of have this, you know, memory of being in my mum's kitchen and, of course, uh, my mum is Thai and Asian food and Thai food has that very characteristic smell of, you know, curry paste and lemongrass and garlic and ginger and all those sorts of things. And I think, you know, I I can remember just being in that place and and smelling all those wonderful smells. I can't remember exactly what was being cooked, but, you know, that's sort of like a memory that sticks with me and and, and at multiple points in my childhood, you know, it was always something beautifully delicious and aromatic going on in my mum's kitchen. And uh, I loved being there. I, I, I always remember that. 
And your mum is a professional chef as well. I mean, you've, you've described her before as your food hero. What do you think your mum instilled in you about cooking that has stayed with you to this day? Well, just a natural love and curiosity about food. So my mum became a professional chef a little bit later on in her life, but had always loved food. And it's the kind of thing that you don't like, you know, it's not like she set out to say, you know, to teach me things, you know, it was just what she loved to do. And our family just loved to eat and cook. And I think it was that natural organic love of home cooking and home cooked uh, meals and making things from scratch and all those sorts of things that she really passed on to me, uh, rather than you know later on that those sort of professional or technical skills and I think that's really special because you know you can learn whatever you can learn you know and obviously in professional kitchens and restaurants and culinary schools um, but I really adore the fact that you know I have all these sort of like secret Asian mum you know <laughs> <laughs> techniques that I sort of learned organically which is amazing. And it starts from a place of passion doesn't it those those moments of connection with your family Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, you know, obviously I'm a foodie at heart. So I would say this, but, you know, to me, places and people in my family and the people I love and my friends are all experienced through food and food moments, you know, <laughs> dinners and lunches and get togethers, you know, all over the world from when I was little to even now. So for me, food is a very special thing, not just something that I have for dinner. It, it creates memories, creates love, creates relationships. Um, and I guess I'm lucky because I also get to do it as a job. <laughs> there once was a time though, where food wasn't uh, going to be your end path because you studied law and journalism and full disclosure, I'm a journalist, my partner's a lawyer. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you graduated with degrees in both. Where did that love of learning come from? Because you've gone and you've applied that into food later. I was quite the nerd actually when I was in high school and I truly actually probably like most people didn't know what I wanted to do. I was expected to finish high school with a good grade and everyone was like, hey, you should go and do uh, a law degree. And I was like, yeah, right, that sounds kind of cool. I'm sort of unconvinced, um, but I thought, oh, you know, you know, I do really love writing and storytelling. So I thought the journalism was a good add-on to the, the seriousness of the law degree. But as as I progressed through university, you know, I, I did love the studying. I loved the academics of studying law, but I knew that storytelling was where I wanted to be. So very quickly, I became obsessed with becoming a journalist and working for the ABC. And that became my, my sort of life goal while I was at university. Yes, yeah, so you managed to achieve that life goal. You, you did um, work as a journalist at ABC, which is probably uh, a lot of people's idea of a dream job and at the time it was your dream job but why did it eventually being the wrong fit for you? Yeah it's so strange I kind of like got my dream job at the age of 21 <laughs> I was like oh <laughs> it was I mean you know I think I think to be honest I just wasn't a very good journalist <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's probably probably good that I found a new career path um, no I, I, I sort of as I got older, I kind of figured out, you know, what it was that I really did love. And, and I, I moved to Adelaide to work for the ABC. And I, um, Adelaide in South Australia is an amazing place. Uh, you know, so many great food producers and wine producers. And I just all of a sudden became friends and ensconced in this community of creative people who were doing amazing things with food and wine. And all of a sudden, you know, being a serious uh, ABC journalist didn't seem so appealing. <laughs> but I thought, you know, everyone wants to be a food journalist or a food writer. How do I 
kind of stand out. So I, I walked into my editor's office at the ABC and I said, I am going, I'm quitting, I'm going to study a master's in gastronomy. And he said, why on earth would you want to study people's guts for, you know? <laughs> 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 and I was like, not gastro, not, not gastro. Like, <laughs> gastronomy, uh, which of course is the history of food and wine. I, I did that much to the um, disappointment of my parents who did love to see me on the telly every now and then on the ABC. <laughs> so um, I was doing that uh, when I went to, um, when I decided to hop on that, that show, Masters, that little show, <laughs> um, MasterChef, uh, and, and off we went from there really. Well, your parents would see you on telly uh, pretty soon. You wouldn't have much of a break from ABC to, you know, Channel 10 because you, you, you were doing a Master's of in Gastronomy and then you put your studies on hold um, to enter MasterChef. Now, what made you want to be a part of that competition? You know, I, I just, I really wanted, I guess at the time I was so young and I kind of just really wanted some validation maybe. You know, it was all a bit scary. I'd spent so many years studying very serious things at university and then and then going on to work at the ABC and then all of a sudden I was, you know, sort of studying again and, and you know, I, I didn't know how I could turn this love of food into something amazing and, and, and something I could do professionally. I wasn't entirely sure, but one of my friends had sort of watched the show and she was like, you just go on a show. Like, you know, you're just studying your master's anyway, like give it a go. And what really attracted me as well was season one, they'd gotten to work with so many amazing great chefs. And like back then, like, you know, even though it's still the case now, but like those big chefs were like rock stars. This is 12 years ago now. People like Hester and Blumenthal and and Nigella Lawson and Rick Stein, they were like gods in my eyes anyway. And the thought of being able to meet them and work with them or work alongside them was something that was so very attractive to me. So that was probably, you know, they were the sort of reasons why I, I wanted to, to go on the show. So the fame that you gained from MasterChef really gave you a foot in the door in the food industry, but I imagine there was probably a flip side to that where there were a lot of detractors. I mean like it is with any kind of reality TV show these days. So how did you make sure that people took your food ambitions seriously? I think it's a really good question. You know, I have a lot of um, uh, questions. I've had had a lot of questions since where I think there's a confusion between, you know, being on a reality show and then actually coming out of that show and standing up on your own two legs, I guess. A lot of people don't take you seriously because you have been on a reality show. <laughs> which is, you know, fair enough. <laughs> I was really keen to very quickly stand on my own two legs and do and do my own thing. So coming off the show, there was a lot of temptation, a lot of people that said, well, why are you starting your own food business? It would be so much easier to just go and be ahead on a product, you know, just go and endorse something. Why would you go off and make it yourself and mortgage your house and you know, put in all the financials and do all the things yourself when you could just go and ride the coattails of, of that kind of five minutes of fame and that wasn't appealing to me at all like you know what I wanted to do was build something and build something amazing for uh, the long term so my husband and I were dead set keen on on creating um, Marion's Kitchen the food company um, based off the recipes that I love and and all those food memories and and the love of those curry pastes and the Thai dishes and the sauces and all the things we talked about earlier um, from my childhood and and that was going to be the basis of our, our next move, our Marion's Kitchen Food Company. 
Mm. It's a, more than a, a decade ago now for you, Master Chef. What do you remember about that that time? What's most significant for you? Probably the probably the the after after what do I call it? The aftermath. It was not really that. <laughs> the <laughs> oh aftermath God, of the tsunami. Really, it really was not that dramatic. Um, I mean, at the time it was a bit dramatic, but it's you know it was just TV. Uh, probably the thing that I remember the most was how exciting it was to be creating something and creating a company and becoming the the food entrepreneur. I guess that I didn't know was there. Having the the balls to just get on a plane and go to Thailand with my recipes and knock on the door of manufacturers like big manufacturing facilities and producers and saying hey I'm going to make these products and I'm going to sell it to Coles and Woolworths if you want to jump on board you should I mean (laughs) when I'm looking back now I'm like oh my god I was just so naive but so determined and you know we had a product on shelf in a major supermarket in Australia within eight months of coming off the show which is incredible phenomenal um and and that's probably you know that that, that's probably what i remember most about that was the the building the building up at the start of the company you know straight after it takes a lot of determination really because there's a lot of people who talk and then there's people who do so i guess like that kind of experience of having like you said validation that you are on the right path that you that you're doing the right thing kind of gives you that extra confidence to go, you know what, I'm going to take risks now. I'm going to create this thing that I'm, I'm dreaming of. Totally. I think it was actually a sense of urgency more than anything as well. I was like, this is my time. If I don't do this now, when am I going to do it? So it was kind of like a do it now or don't do it at all kind of thing, which I thought was great. It was just basically someone like shoving me off the cliff, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will hear a little bit more about what you've done with your digital media empire, Marion, um, just after this very short break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Thank you for joining us again, Marion. Now we're back with you and we'd like to dive a little more deeply into your journey of bringing Marion's Kitchen to fruition. What were the kind of biggest challenges? You know, you said you jumped on a plane and and flew to Thailand and upped yourself as like being, woohoo, we're in supermarkets. Was that true, by the way? Had you already signed a supermarket deal? Oh no, not 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 when we went to Thailand. So basically, the the, the path of trajectory was um, I went to Thailand with my little you know home recipes, <laughs> talked to a whole bunch of people, got a whole bunch of no's, came back to Australia with a few leads, found a distributor, which is important if you want to be getting into uh, the big supermarkets, and found a distributor who believed believed in us. We still work with that distributor now, and then from there developed the product with 
producers that I wanted to work with that had the right ethos about products and ingredients and those sorts of things. And then it was selling into Coles and Woolworths, getting the, the tick from, from them, and then obviously getting on shelf and packaging design and, you know, all the things. Mm. <laughs> all condensed into a very short amount of time, obviously, because there was that urgency in my mind to get things up and going while we had a little bit of um, publicity on our side. Because, of course, at that time, you didn't have a lot of, I guess... Social media smaller... wasn't as big as well then. No. No, you didn't really have that. Social media was not big at all. So we were up against competing with the likes of Kraft or Goodman and Fielder or, you know, mm. um, Unilever. These are big, big Mama's making Canton. Can, <laughs> yes, exactly, who can pay a lot of money um, for TV spots and those sorts of things, which at the time was the way that you reached an audience. So we had to capitalize on the on the publicity that we had at the time, and um, and we had to speed through that process of getting the products on the shelf. So it's kind of a bit of a whirlwind. But once we kind of got that established enough on shelf, things went pretty well from there, really. So did you guys bootstrap that whole journey yourselves? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just choked so, on the, the amount you know, of money. You choked that on the pulse. memory. All no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the stress, <laughs> my money. <laughs> Visceral reaction. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> uh, there's been plenty of those along the way, by the way. Uh, so that, was all, that was all us. So, you know, my husband, now husband, par- um, partner at the time, mortgaged his house. We borrowed money from family. As I said, from the beginning, we were determined to make this our own um, um, and to build it from the ground up. So that requires <coughs> the, the, the gut-wrenching <laughs> kind of risk-taking uh, financial head start, really. That's actually a really interesting point you raise about your partner because I think this is something that a lot of business owners across the board, whatever industry you're in, can relate to. Say you've got a partner who's an entrepreneur and then your your partner kind of coming along for the ride or having to financially be really on board with what your dreams are how do you navigate that kind of thing with your partner and make sure that your that their their dreams definitely match up with yours well, I mean, you know, I think we were very lucky. It's a, it's a difficult thing starting out so young, but I think we were both uh, very sort of sure about what we wanted to do in life. I'm much more creative. I'm all about, you know, how do I make the most delicious something, the most delicious curry paste, the most delicious sauce, the most, you know, uh, creative content, you know, those sorts of things. My partner, Tim, is so much more uh, business-minded. So he's all about the financials, the viability of something so much more, I don't want to say good cop, bad cop, you know, <laughs> he can be, he's probably more bad cop than me. I can be bad cop sometimes, but he's probably more comfortable at being bad cop, um, you know, which you need. So I think, I think we're really lucky because we fell into this very good balance of creative plus, um, you know, uh, good business sense, which I think you kind of need and not everyone has as a singular person. So I think for us, it was very fortuitous and, um, and, and worked out very well. Does he have more patience with the spreadsheet? Oh, my goodness. Don't even talk to me about spreadsheets. I'm not anywhere near spreadsheets. (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely more patient with spreadsheets, but he's also probably a lot more 
he, he drives a lot of our, our company strategy and, and going forward, how we move forward and how, how we build and grow. Um, we're very lucky to have quite a, a large team now. So neither of us have to do the spreadsheets. We just have to look at them every now and then. <laughs> Someone has to. I know. Uh, yeah. Adam and I are particular fans of spreadsheets. So we've got I look at, I spend, I spend look all, at them. I spend all day looking at them, but someone else has to put them together. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. For us, it was Tim at the beginning. And I think for me, it's a good, in in my world anyway, uh, you know, the kind of company that we are, media publishing and and food creating and then lifestyle and homewares, you've got to have always, always, it's this balance, uh, you know, tug of, tug of war, if you like, between the creative and, and the business first strings. It's very important. So what made you make the leap to digital? I mean, your YouTube channel is absolutely massive. You've got well over a million subscribers. Like, what was the moment that spawned Marion's Kitchen Media? We started out probably about 2017 when sort of those hands-only tasty videos became a thing. And I feel like this is the time where social media for brands and companies really started to kick off. You know, YouTube is probably the the OG of social media platforms. It had been been around for a while, um, you know, a lot more mainstream than say MySpace or something like that. But it wasn't, it may have not, probably not taken as seriously as now. Facebook was still a place where you kind of just, you know, popped up you know, a sentence about where you'd been. Oh, I've been at the beach today or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, Instagram wasn't a thing, you know. Simpler times. <laughs> so, yes, but then video became, became a thing on Facebook all of a sudden. Well, it seemed all of a sudden, um, and we thought it was a great way to be able to market our, our products in a way that was different to what all the other big companies were doing. Because obviously, when you're small and you're competing with the big guys, you have to figure out how you can be more nimble. Because nimble and agility is basically all you got. <laughs> so, um, so we quickly got on the bandwagon of making these tasty hand style videos with our products. Um, but then soon realised that when I stuck my head in front of the camera, we obviously got more engaged. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knew, Marion? Who, who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Um, so we we quickly pivoted, uh, got rid of our boardroom. So at this stage, we had moved to Thailand. We'd op- opened an office there. Uh, so Marion's Kitchen was now sort of starting to take shape with uh, half a dozen or so employees, uh, and we turned the boardroom into a makeshift kitchen studio. We em- employed a couple of like university graduates, you know, video photography graduates, and we just started making videos. First few were a bit disappointing. You know, I think probably my mom and like a couple other people watched them. <laughs> and, but then pretty soon we were getting 10,000 views and then 100,000 views and then followers after followers and it soon became its own thing very, 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 very quickly. And actually, if you do a very interesting uh, piece of homework, if you type into Google Trends, Marion Grasby, uh, you'll see that we peak in terms of brand awareness um, around about sort of like 2018, uh, 2020, which was which which actually peaks at the same level as as my Master Chef TV time in 2010 so the power of of digital is is you can see it exactly Mm. in that graph um 
where the awareness of what we were doing and who we were was growing exponentially more than when I was on television years earlier. So it quickly became clear that this was our path forward and we needed to build on it. And thank you, algorithm. <laughs> Once the yes. people start liking you, it's like, boost you up, boost you up. <laughs> the thing, you know, but I, th- I think the algorithm is, you know, there's so many podcasts on algorithms and, you know, live or die by the algorithm. But the <laughs> algorithm is, you know, <laughs> it's easy to get caught up in it, but like my philosophy is very simple i just need to make content that my audience wants to watch and likes watching the algorithm simply takes what people likes and and feeds it back to them so you know it's all about finding your people being authentic and genuine and creating content that you love that you know your audience will love and i know that all sounds very simple but it kind of is Mm. (laughs) um so we uh very quickly invested very heavily in that uh and that's where we find ourselves today Now, you have a test kitchen and video studio in Noosa, where you live. Um, Is that as much fun as it sounds, like playing around in in the test kitchen and video studio? Yes, it is very fun, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's amazing now, um, thinking about how we started off with just the two university graduates in our makeshift boardroom come studio in, in Bangkok, and we now have we still have the studio in Bangkok, but that team is now built out to about, um, you know, over 20 people. And we built our studio here in Noosa during COVID because we were in Australia and needed a studio. So we now have our um, studio here with about half a dozen people. And then we also have an office in Melbourne as well. So um, lots of hands, lots of people making light work, really. But, yes, it is really fun here with um our studio that we've built, it's great being being able to be creative every day. You know, I'm testing, I'm either testing products or I'm testing food products or I'm testing homewares products or I'm creating videos, um, reels, TikToks, um, you know, video for YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. It's a never-ending publishing beast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't we know it? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in, in saying that, you know, the investment that we've made has allowed us to build such a massive platform for our company to thrive on. So we currently have, I think, more than 6 million followers over all of our channels. We reach 45 or 50 million people a month, which is crazy when you think about even regular television shows and, and, and the reach there. So it's it, it's amazing to think that you can do that and connect with people directly and engage them directly as well, which is what I love about, about social content is that you're directly engaging with people. It's not a passive experience like traditional media. Mm. You you mentioned the the all consuming never ending content beast. <laughs> yes. Is that one of the main challenges? The six million people. <laughs> yeah, is that is that the main challenge of having a media company? You know, having to keep feeding the beast. You know, it it, it just it becomes what it becomes. Really, you know, our, our company started off as a food product company. We're now a media publishing company. It's like any media publishing company. How do you create? the best, I guess, food magazine every month? How do we create the best food videos every day, um, every week? Um, so, yeah, it's it's a challenge. But what I love about it is that you, you get told directly if you're on the right track or not. You know, we <laughs> talked about the algorithm. <laughs> 
um, which is just another word for uh, for me for for the audience. But they tell you what they want, and they and they and they show you with what they watch and what they engage with. So it's interesting, it's fun, it's challenging, it's all those things. Um, but yeah, geez, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's pretty amazing, and I'm eternally, honestly, like eternally grateful and very humbled by the number of people who welcome me into their phones slash lounge rooms slash bathrooms <laughs> you know what I mean everyone's watching watching stuff on their phones I, I'm very always always very grateful much more so than you know scared about the challenge I'm always much more grateful for the fact that people are happy to to have me in their life on their phone uh, um trolls an issue for you given you've got such a massive following or not so much because the people that come really just want to see you making food <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I'm quite like an uncontroversial <laughs> I don't know that I caught much controversy except for when I make um, a know, strange food uh, combination <laughs> yes um, uh, you know there's a, quite a few Italians that probably aren't, um, aren't a fan of my greatest video on YouTube which is a spicy garlic butter linguine containing oyster sauce <laughs> um, which is one of my one of my most popular videos, which, by the way, was picked up by, you know, Bon Appetit magazine in, in the US. And, and, and to be honest, like, I don't know, if, I, if there are, there's a very small number of trolls that might make silly comments, but, you know, I'm a big girl. It's, it, uh, we have so many amazing, lovely people. I couldn't possibly dwell too much on, on any of the negatives. Well, have there been any surprises? Like, as you mentioned, you're learning, you get that immediate feedback from your audience. Uh, are there, were there any surprises that you can, just that come to mind where you're just like, whoa, I really didn't think that that would resonate or I really didn't know or anything feedback that came from people where you're like, oh, okay, I didn't realise you wanted, I mean, you mentioned they like to see your face. That's one, that's one piece of feedback. What else? Well, I'll give you a very, <laughs> I'll give you a small amusing one and then I'll give you a rather large and amazing one. Um, small and amusing is that um, our audience loves when I'm wearing a white dress <laughs> because, they, because they see, and because I cook a lot of spicy things, you see, and the jeopardy, the, the, the danger, the dangerousness of Ooh, cooking something red and spicy in a white dress. Just seems oh, like, you're giving me chills right now. I'm just like, oh, I can't handle it. I'm on the edge of my the seat. Chili, the chili oil and the, you know, the things splashing around in the wok seem to really keep people engaged. So, <laughs> so there's one small, um, oh my God, that, that's a thing. Okay. But how do you um, keep your clothes uh, white? How do you keep them white I'm, when you're cooking I'm, that? I'm very good at this, Adam. I'm, I'm very. <laughs> oh, my God. I need to <laughs> learn from you. Many years of practice. <laughs> I need to learn <laughs> from you. Many years of practice. Um, so that's the small sort of trite one, if you like. But the big one was that last year we decided to self-publish our own cookbooks. Now, I've published cookbooks with publishers before, but we decided we we're constantly, constantly looking at ways that we can be, I guess, breaking down the traditional barriers, if you like, of, of, of business or, or, or business models. So we were like, okay, we're going to publish our own cookbook. We have an a in-house um, editor. So we did that. We published the cookbook and ended up sent, selling 40,000 copies within eight months. And that's only available through my social channels. It's only sold on my website. It's not at uh, Big W. It's not on Amazon. Uh, that's just but purely, uh, yeah, the audience it's very watching, savvy um, business decision there, Marion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, 
that to me, I was like, holy, like expletives, expletives. Um, you know, <laughs> amazing to sort of feel that level of of support and that surge of we love so much what you're doing that we're willing to actually you know in, invest in you and and that to me was like a yeah watershed moment I think for for what we've been doing in media publishing and since then we've published our second cookbook which is just sold out in Australia and we're about to publish a third um, which is very exciting but I'll, I won't tell you what that is yet Mm. Oh well, is that just as delicious that you're talking about? <laughs> so, so always, always delicious was the first book that we published last year, which has sold more than forty, maybe forty-five now, but certainly more than forty forty thousand copies. Just as delicious, um, which has just launched now, uh, has already sold out in Australia, and yeah, oh the my third god, coming. The third book will be coming early next year. Um, That's pre-sale, then, isn't it? Because it's not even meant to be pre-sale. Jeez. So it just it, so the the first. I was going to get that arrived. for our our kid's dad because he's yeah. he's an absolute <laughs> lover of, so, of your cookbooks. So, sorry, ah, so sorry. Damn you! <laughs> damn you and <laughs> your pre-sale, Marianne. Yeah, I'll have to. Let's do it for next year. I, I actually, I would, I would offer to send you one, but I actually don't have one either because we literally have zero. There are like none in the warehouse. So, oh my god! Um, so the books just started arriving on shore this week, but they're already sold out. That's right, they're sold out in pre-sale. So this is what I mean. Like this is what I think is amazing about the power of digital content and how you can build something so big and amazing and colossal without having those traditional kind of roadblocks in your way. There's no TV producer saying that I have to be like this or be like that. I don't have to ask someone to green light a piece of content that I want to make. It's all about what does my audience want and then making it really. And we're about to move into uh, homewares and lifestyle uh, products as well. And yeah, it's just, I mean, yeah, just uh, I'm, I'm constantly in awe at what you can do so that With won't just be Marion's kitchen then, will it? Will be Marion's home or? Well, yeah. No, so we're, we're, not, st- we're not talking about that yet. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to. Well, I guess it's, I guess it's, it's my product. I guess I can. There is a first drop of something very exciting coming at the end of October, which is the first, I'm going to call it, well, actually, no, I'll just tell you what it is, whatever. I'm too excited. <laughs> we're we're, with we've been shoot- <laughs> I'm, no, I'm terrible with secrets. No, so um, obviously one of the things I cook with a lot on my um, on my channels is a wok. Now, I've been working on creating the perfect wok now for a while. Uh, so the perfect wok, which um, is called Mako Performance Cookware by Marion's Kitchen, will be dropping end of October. Oh. So there you go. And probably you better pre-order it because it'll be sold out. <laughs> probably better pre-order it. You, you need to get onto My resentment get onto, is showing. Get onto this now. Get onto it now. Um, so, so there's the walk launching in October and then, and then, the, and then there's um, a, a separate homewares brand coming next year. So, um, you know, just a few things happening. Just a few things. Just a few. A couple now, of things. Yeah, just, just a few little things. Look, I was going to say the world is your oyster, but I want to say the world is your oyster sauce because of that recipe you brought up. I told you, I'm here for the puns. I love that. I'm only here for the puns. I love that. I'm going to use 
I'm totally going to steal that pun, Adam. But if I see <laughs> that on one of your aprons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a tea towel out of it. <laughs> Look, we're getting towards the end of our interview. We would love to keep chatting all day, but you are a very busy woman. Look, I want, one of the things we did want to pick up on was that obviously during COVID, uh, a lot of people fell in love with the art of cooking or rediscovered their their love of, of cooking and we want to know from you what was your what's your favorite comfort food that has sort of really helped you get by and that's in this sort of this climate uh, for sure it's my mum's recipe for a thai um it's 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 called well i'll say it in thai it's called kautom, um but it's a it's a rice soup similar to congee but um, it's a lot kind of more fragrant. Um, it has uh, crispy garlic bits and, and herbs and, and lots of ginger. And it's just one of those, like, it's like the chicken soup for the soul kind of deal, you know, like you're eating it and you instantly feel better, uh, whether you've got a cold or whether you're just hungover. So it's the perfect cure-all. <laughs> and we're not going to say that it'll cure your COVID either. <laughs> <laughs> might make you feel better, though, immediately. Yeah, it'll just make you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> well, Marion, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Uh, that's all we have time for. Head to marionskitchen.com for incredible recipes. Check out her new cookbook, Just As Delicious. Keep an eye out for more copies of that to come and a third <laughs> one too. And buy any of her delicious meal kits, marinades and more at your local Coles or Woolies. Thank you so much, Marion. Thanks, guys. So lovely chatting. And thank you for joining us for another episode of First Act. Give us a five-star review if you're loving these chats as much as we are. Pretty please. Be back next week for another First Act conversation. Bye. Bye.